to have you listening to another Contemplate podcast brought to you by Acts Church. Pastor David Robinson is our teacher, and today continues a powerful teaching on the problem of hell. That really is a problem for a lot of folks, but we're cutting through all the opinions and learning the truth, so let's get back to it. Here's Pastor David. look at a story that Jesus tells. The story is in Luke 16, if you have your Bible. And we're going to start at verse 19. It says this, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. Now, There's a lot of stuff in that passage, and we could spend a lot of time on it. But let's just deal with the issues that it touches on the problem of hell. First of all, the first thing I want you to notice is that this rich man was actually in some ways kind of a nice guy. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers so that his brothers don't end up there. So he's in hell, but we don't see somebody who's completely and utterly without thought of anyone else. He says, hey, send Lazarus to go tell my brothers so they don't end up here. But you'll notice at the same time, he wasn't a very nice guy to Lazarus. The first thing he asks is for Lazarus to come down there and dip his finger in water and touch his tongue. So he's treating Lazarus not very nicely. He wants him to come down to where he is, which means Lazarus would have to be in torment so that he could serve this guy again, this guy who for however long was sitting outside this guy's gate with the dogs licking his sores. Now he's finally happy, and this guy's like, hey, send him down here to hell. Let him experience a little torment so that he can make me feel better. So maybe he wasn't that nice of a guy. Notice also something very interesting. The rich man does not express any kind of repentance. Nothing. Abraham tells him that he had his good things and now he's in torment. He doesn't say, oh, 
I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let me, let me be in God's presence. You know, I don't want this. I give up myself. I surrender. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, have mercy on me, meaning I don't like the fact that I'm in torment. I'd like to not feel so bad, but never once does he give up his pride. Never once does he say, forgive me, forgive me, I messed up. He doesn't say that at all. Lastly, I want you to notice what Abraham says to him at the end. At the end he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. We actually have one who's risen from the dead. But does everybody believe? No. See, you've got to understand this when we start to deal with the problem of hell. Because there's this kind of idea that hell is unjust. It's unjust because people don't really have a choice. People don't really know. But this guy was saying, hey, if you just send him back to tell my brothers, this, you know, Lazarus comes as a ghost and he's like, ooh, and like, don't go to hell. And that these people will all do what's right. But Abraham knows, as we now know, that just because somebody rises from the dead does not mean that people will choose to follow and do what's right. The rich man chose hell. Remember last week we talked about um, God creating humans with free will. And we talked about how it's logically impossible that God would create someone with free will and at the same time that they wouldn't have free will. In other words, if he created them with free will, they have to be able to choose what they want to do. They have to be able to choose. And this rich man, he clearly chose to be in hell. He wasn't even asking to get out. Just cool his tongue down. I still don't want to surrender to God. I just don't want to be in so much torment. He just wanted a little mercy little mercy from what he was dealing with. And of course, Abraham says what is clearly true. There's a gulf between us and you. We can't be there and you can't be here. Now, is God unloving if he gives this rich man what he wants? What this rich man wanted, what he wanted was to do what he wanted. He didn't want to submit. If God gives him the right to not submit, is that make God unloving? You might object here and say, well, no, hang on a second, hang on a second. The rich man did not want to be tormented in hell. Well, that's undoubtedly true. It's undoubtedly true, but he didn't want to be with God either. And there wasn't any, any other place for him to go. But you then might say, well... If that's true and people get to be in heaven who love God, why did God make hell such a horrible place for people? Why did God prepare such a terrible place? Everything you hear about hell, I've never heard anything that makes it sound like it's a nice place to go. So why? If these people want to reject God, why not just let them go somewhere not quite so bad? Well, we have to, we have to think about that. Did God make hell for humans? Let's remember what we read in John 14, just, just a little while ago. 14, 2, it said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. What did God prepare for humans? Heaven. He was preparing rooms for them in heaven. But what does it say about hell? 
In Matthew, Jesus is talking and he, and, he, and he discusses this moment where he's going to stand in judgment. There's going to be the sheep and the goats. And once the goats have judgment pronounced on him, he says this, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Who was hell prepared for? Hell wasn't prepared for man at all. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God had never had any desire. God had never had any desire for us to be in hell. In fact, the natural thing, the thing that he prepared was for us to be with him in heaven. That's what he prepared. He didn't prepare us for hell. It just happens to be the only place that there is other than with him. There's the presence of God and outside the presence of God. What is hell? Outside the presence of God. That's what it is. It's the only place there is outside of the presence of God. Those who choose to be like the devil will go to the place that God prepared for the devil. And now you're really upset because grandma wasn't the devil. She wasn't like the devil, was she? Well, what was the devil like? What we read in Scripture is that he was great, that he was made powerful and special. What was his sin? His sin was that he believed that he should be in charge. He wanted to be in charge. He was going to be in charge of himself. He wasn't going to submit to God. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Grandma wasn't like the devil, but you have been. And I have been. How many times have we said, no, no, I want to do what I want to do. I know that God's calling me to do this, but I want to do what I want to do. It's not because God doesn't love people that they go to hell. It's because he gave them free will, and they chose to be there. As C.S. Lewis says, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. The people who are there want to be there, not because they want to experience torment or anything like that, but because they do not want to surrender to God. And you say, well, people aren't really that bad. This is one of the issues with the problem of hell. People aren't really that bad. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve it. But first of all, this is one of those issues where you cannot possibly know that that's true. You cannot possibly know what somebody deserves or doesn't deserve. Now, you take a guy like Hitler, who did great evil, killed six million plus people. He's a bad dude. I mean, pretty much the word Hitler is synonymous with bad dude, right? Fair enough. But here's the thing. The only way he was able to do all that evil is because he happened to have the power to be able to do it. See, if I wanted to do all that evil, I wouldn't be able to do it. Somebody would catch me long before I got to the number of people that he killed, Right? I couldn't do it. But that doesn't mean that my heart isn't just as evil. Jesus is so clear in Scripture that it's the heart that he's looking on. And you cannot see the heart. Your friend that you're worried about, that you think is a good person, that you're worried might go to hell, you don't know their heart. You don't know their heart. You don't know what they deserve. Jesus says if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you even get angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. These are things that you and I can't see. 
but that he can see. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. Scripture is clear on that, and you know it's true. We've all sinned. We're constantly rejecting God and his plan for us. We're constantly being like Satan and not submitting and wanting to do it our way. Do we truly think that Christ should not exercise judgment on our rebellion? Most of the the hell talk is from Jesus. It'd be very difficult to do what we want to do in our modern minds and sort of reject the idea of hell and say, well, that part of Christianity, that's just a metaphor for things are going to be kind of bad on earth before we all get saved and we all get to go to heaven. But that's repudiating the doctrine that Jesus was very clear about. And when we repudiate doctrines of Jesus, we tend to repudiate Jesus. When we try to change the doctrine of judgment, we have a mess on our hands. Because without judgment, Christianity doesn't make sense. The world doesn't make sense. We know that judgment is necessary. Rich, uh, H. Richard Niebuhr said about the type of Christianity that wants to, to do those things, that wants to take away the doctrine of hell, that wants to take away the difficult stuff. He says this. It's a doctrine of, of this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's what he says about that kind of theology. Now, here's the problem. Here's why it doesn't work, because there is sin. And because there is sin, it's necessary that a righteous God has wrath and judgment. And because it's necessary that a righteous God has wrath and judgment, if he loves us, and he does, it was necessary that there was a cross to save us from his righteous wrath and judgment. We take that away. We take away Christianity. We take it away. But people kind of still get worked up and they say to the answer that people choose hell, that, that no one would ever choose hell. No one would ever choose hell if they knew. If they really knew. It's that people don't really know. If they really knew, they wouldn't choose it. But there are people all over the place, and the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been around for 2,000 years. And there is no person or very few people in America that have lived in America who have not had the opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel and either accept it or reject it. And I'm not a math major, but there are tens of thousands of people in this town and not very many of them are here. The idea that people don't reject truth is nonsense. It's true that no one wants to choose hell. I agree with that. No one wants to choose the torment. But the idea that people don't choose to reject God and therefore have to be in hell because there's nowhere else for them to be, that's nonsense. There are tons of people like that. They want to do what they want to do. They want to do what they want to do. You see, here's the thing. It's not that people are in hell because God doesn't love them. God loves them. He provided his son as a sacrifice for their salvation, but they don't accept him. Jesus says, I died for you. Forgiveness is is available for you because I love you. And you can either say, yes, I accept your forgiveness. I surrender to you. And then you're with God. Or you say, 
no. I don't surrender. I don't accept. I don't need your forgiveness. I'm in charge of me. And if that's where your heart is, you can be the nicest person in the world in many other ways for many reasons. Maybe you like the fact that people like you because you're nice. Who knows why you're nice? But if inside your heart you're rejecting God, he's made an offer that you're not accepting, that you're rejecting, what do you want him to do? What do you want God to do? This is what C.S. Lewis says. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins at all costs, to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. This is not a game that God is playing where he makes you think that you're okay, then you die unexpectedly, and he's like, ah, I got you, going to hell. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. You've got to understand that God is righteous. He is righteous. God is love. He is also righteous and holy. He can't have sin exist with him. But he knew when he created us that we would choose to do what was wrong. So he chose to come and be the sacrifice for us so that we could be with him. Because otherwise we could not be with him because as much as he loves us, he's holy. But he provided that way. It's our choice whether we accept it. And if we reject it, that's hell. That's hell. I'm not trying to scare you with hell. There are probably churches who do the whole brimstone thing and try to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. It doesn't work. I hate horror movies, okay? I, I do not like them. But when I was younger, I decided that I would try to watch the movie Psycho. So I watched this movie, and there's this very creepy guy, and there's the girl, and she's like in the shower or whatever, and he comes in with a knife. Reep, reep, reep. Okay, that was some scary stuff for me, okay? I do not like movies like that. It scared the fire out of me. But you know what? I didn't stop taking showers. I forgot about it eventually, right? I mean, it was a couple of years I didn't take a shower, but that was no big deal. <laughs> I mean, I'll eventually take a shower again. No, it, I didn't stop taking showers. Fear only does so much until you can forget about what the fear is. And then you move on. If all I tried to do in here was give you fire and brimstone and you're going to burn, you got to turn or burn. That might work today, and you might come up here and be like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to get my fire insurance card. That's not what following Jesus is about. That's not my point. That's not my point. My point is to defend the loving nature of God within the doctrine of hell. That's all. That's all we're doing here. Okay? This is the truth. I'm simply trying to tell you the truth, that God died for you, that you can accept that and be with him in heaven. It's the most natural thing in the world that you would be with him. He created you to be with him. But if you reject that, you reject him. And you cannot reject him and be with him. You can't do both. And neither can anybody that you know or anybody that you're worried about. You may be like those right now on Palm Sunday who cheered Jesus on as he came into the city. But when he turned out not to be the Jesus Christ that they wanted him to be, they rejected him. This doctrine for you, like I said, there are strong psychological drivers. You may be saying to yourself right now, this is not a doctrine that I can live with. I cannot 
deal with the fact that God will be sending people to hell, and specifically that God may be sending people that I know or that I love to hell. And so you may reject him. I'm begging you not to do that. Do not assume you know more than God about what is good and what is right. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? Does God know what's good? Does he know what's good? Of course he does. You don't know better than he does. You want to believe that there's no hell. And so some people in the last ditch effort say, but if the people had enough chances... If they had enough chances, they'd choose. They would choose God. C.S. Lewis says, I believe that if a million chances were likely to do good, they would be given. Finality must come sometime, and it does not require a very robust faith to believe that omniscience knows when. What he's saying is this. You can say that everyone would come if they were given enough chances, but the fact is, is that it's not true. There are those who will reject God no matter how many times they're given the opportunity. How many opportunities have you had? How many? Every second of every day of your life. How many times have you rejected him? Every second of every day of your life. What makes you think that if you were given an eternity of chances, you would change it anymore? Because you're in torment? You've been in torment here. There's plenty of bad things. They didn't make you turn to God. They didn't make you submit yourself and give up your pride and follow him. What makes you think other people would? And then some people say, what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? What about those people? It's not fair that they would go to, to hell. Here's the thing. No one is, who has truly repented of their sin and who has sought after God will be in hell. Jesus knows how to reveal himself. There are Muslims, regularly you hear stories of Muslims in the Middle East, having dreams and visions of Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is. They have dreams and visions of Jesus and come to Christ. He knows how to take care of his children. He knows how to take care of people. He will not leave anyone without a choice. Everyone will have a choice. They'll know what the choice is. Nobody's going to get the gotcha. Nobody's going to get the gotcha, okay? But this question isn't about other people. Don't, don't question God on the person in the deepest, darkest jungle who's never heard of Jesus and be mad because that person's going to hell. They're only going to hell if they didn't choose Jesus. He'll reveal himself to him. You've got to worry about you. What are you going to choose? You have heard the gospel. You're not in the deep, dark jungle. You've heard it today. What are you going to do about it? And if you're so worried about other people, which you should be, what are you doing? If you believe that there's a hell... The people are going to go to it. What are you doing for your neighbor, for your friend, for your grandma, for whoever, that you're worried is going to hell? Is it on your mind? Do you care? Bring them here. This is where they'll hold the truth. One last quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. 
The door is open, and if you realize that you need to make some changes in your thinking or your life, now's the time. Jesus paid the price so you can have peace and joy for eternity, and all you've got to do is ask. No formula, no membership, no contribution, just surrender. And if you still have questions or we can help you in any way, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get directions and all the info you need at axecamus.org. I do hope to see you this Sunday and that you'll check out our next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church here on Contemplate.